was serious. One of the kids goes, so what is this 10% thing? Is this like a holy sales tax? This is what he just asked me. And I told him it's, this, it's a standard of giving equality. So it's, the, idea, the idea is that all give equally in proportion to your income. We honor him. And, so the, and also, st- 10 is a prophetic number as well. 10 is the number of infinity. It's the only number that's multiplied by 10. Any number that's multiplied by 10 is, an inf- is, is a whole number infinitely. It's also in the Bible, it's the number of testing. 10 virgins, 10 lepers, they were tested. And what were they tested with? Thanksgiving, the lepers were tested with gratitude, right? And the virgins were tested with faithfulness. And so 10 in the Bible is a number of testing. It's a number, it's a testing of your gratitude, and it's a testing which you don't, if people don't even aware that God is actually blessing them. Most people aren't, aren't aware. And we're not. And people that are like that, a lot of times Christians, they need to evaluate their own life because we're like pigs at the trough. My buddy up north, used to, his, his parents ran, uh, I come from farm country back in the day, and one of my buddies had a, one of the biggest pig farms, and not once did those pigs ever look up and say thank you. Not once. They just continued to consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and consume. Not aware, that the, the, not aware of the hand that was feeding them. Not aware. Cows are a little different. The cow knows who's feeding them. The cow listens to the farmer. The pig doesn't listen to the farmer. He used to have to carry a little short shovel because the pig wouldn't listen. They'd have to bang the pig to get the pig to listen. Cows, they just would whistle and the cow would follow them and go where they wanted to go. Sheep are even more loyal than that. They're even more aware. They're very dependent upon the shepherd. They're very, they're very grateful to that. You know? And so that one of the ideas is that God, God, with that number 10, is it's a testing. It's a testing. Just a thought. You say, it bothers me. Well, you need to do business with yourself then. If tithing bothers you, you have a problem with your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. There's an issue with you. And you know what else it shows you? It shows you you don't, have, you don't believe that God's your provider. Oh, no, he's Jehovah Jireh. Then give to him. Then honor him with the tithe. Because if he's your provider, then show faith in what you say. What it, t- what it testifies to you when we can't give is it testifies that we don't really have faith. And we really don't believe what we say. It's true. God's not, he's no dummy, man. He's, he is completely capable of doing what he says he's going to do. Yes. I've been young, uh, David said, I've been old, young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Amen. Not once. The bread is for the children. So we're doing, uh, we're, we're, we're doing a series called So Help Me God. So we're talking about how God helps us. Last week we talked about the way that God helps us is when we wake up. When we wake up. And we realize that there's a purpose. We wake up to who we are, what we are, why we are. And this week, one of the ways we're going to talk about how God helps us. We all want the Lord to help us, right? We like lay around like invalid, like, oh, help me, help me, help me, you know? And that's not the way that God helps us. He helps us through causing us to realize certain things. And then he helps us by making changes in our life. This is another way that he does. God's trying to help you by helping you help you. That's one of the ways that's going on. With, with, that's one of the things that happens. Say this with me. Jesus loves me too much to leave, to leave me the same. True. Transformation is the essence of the gospel. You never arrive. There's a constant transformation that's going on in our life. Holy Spirit's goal is to transform you. We're going to talk about this. As God's Spirit works within us, we are being transformed. Say the word transform. transform. There you go. From transform to become more like Christ. 
This change is from one degree of glory to another, and it comes from the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the believer to transform them. Transform them into Jesus and more like more Christ likeness. But we're calling us into the purpose that we have in Christ. Say this with me. It's a process. Right? You're not getting there overnight. We like the magic bullet, don't we? We want to watch a video and get in shape just by laying on the couch watching that video. <laughs> what happened to you? I watched a few videos, man. You know? It's a process. It takes work. It takes a series of steps, and it's a progression. It's over time. We, when Israel went into the land, God said, you're going to take the land a little at a time. You're going to take the promises and take the possession of what I have for you at a little at a time. That's how He works in our life. He changes us from glory to glory. The word glory is kavod. It means weight of goodness. So what God is trying to do is move you from one state of goodness to another state of goodness. And then once He gets you here, then He wants to move you on. The problem is, is most of us get stuck along the way. We get stuck in a moment. Somewhere we get stuck along the way. And the reason that we get stuck is because somewhere we have not allowed or we have stopped allowing the transformation process to continue. That's why we get stuck. Jesus doesn't give up on you. What happens is, is you kind of rescind your partnership in the process. There's something that he's calling you to, something he's telling you to do. And somewhere along the line, you've said no. Somewhere along the line, you've said, I will not. Jesus said, I long to gather you as a hen does its chicks. I want to brood over you. I want to grow you. That's what he told Israel. But he said, you would not. I want to help you, but I'm limited by your ability or your willingness to let me help you. Right? Say this with me. Change is not easy. We like comfortability. We like to keep everything the same. We resist. This is one of the reasons why change isn't easy. Jesus wants to transform you. He wants to change you, but we fight it. We resist it. We don't want to. This is what we do. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to. You have to kill that thing in you that tells you you don't want to. You have to crucify it. Come to church. I don't want to. Give your offering. I don't want to. Go to small group. I don't want to. Read your Bible. I don't want to. Lift your hands and worship. I don't want to. Oh, we're getting real close here. That's just basic stuff. That's not even talking about things that he wants to do in, in your world. If you can't do the basics, you're not going anywhere. Wow. You're not going anywhere. If you can't run with the foot, if you can't contend with the footman, how will you run with the horses, the Bible says. If you can't do the basics... The basic things that he asks every believer, the baseline of discipleship. If you can't do that, there's nothing beyond that. We teach it as the radical five. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. That is a, that is a discipleship standard that is on all of us. And but what happens oftentimes within the church is we go, I read my Bible, check. I pray, check. I commit and connect to church, check. I give, and I live on mission. And we think we've arrived at some high standard. You've just reached the minimum standard. That is the minimum standard. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. That should be a fluid movement within the church. We should all be reading our Bibles. We should all be praying. We should all be committed and connected to His house. We should all be supporting not just His house, but we should be supporting His work and His mission. We should all be reaching out to our friends and our associates in some way, some fashion. 
at the very least, to invite them to church. You go, well, I don't know what they'll think of me. Who cares what they think of you? What does it matter what they think of you? Crazy Christian. Keep asking them. And you tell them one way to get me to shut up is just to come. And you say, okay, I'll come with you. Okay, great. You know, but we're supposed to be living on mission. We're supposed to be reproducing ourselves. What the church has done over the, over the last several decades is we've taken away the responsibility of the people. Now, responsibility is not a, not a burden. Let's understand this word. It means your ability to respond. We've taken away the church's ability to respond to what Jesus has told them to do. It's just that simple. Jesus has told us to do something, and we, we, we preach a pseudo-gospel We preach the gospel of salvation, but we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. Two entirely different things. Salvation and the kingdom, salvation is the entrance into the kingdom. But then we come into the kingdom as sons and daughters, and we're supposed to be about our father's business. We're supposed to be doing something. At the very least, the minimum standard. That's what we're supposed to be doing. At the very least. We have an ability to respond, and God wants to change you. There are so many promises in the scripture I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, but there's a lot of promises there. Peter tells us great and precious promises by which we draw from the divine nature. You want to draw from the divine nature? You draw from the power in the divine nature through the promises. And every promise has a key. Every promise has an attachment. Every promise has a condition attached to it. We say, oh no, salvation is unconditional. No, it's not. It requires all of you. The price has been made. But you have to give your life to it. It's not a prayer. It's not just this sort of insurance policy. The Bible talks about complete and utter surrender of your life. And then it goes further. And it tells you, once you come to Christ, ready? Hold the chair. You know what it tells you? Say it with me. In Christ, my life is not my own. (gasps) What? That's the gospel. Your life no longer belongs to you. What we teach is we come, come to Jesus. He's begging you, please, please, please. Oh, it would be so important if you came and you served me. It would mean so much to me. Okay, Jesus, I'll come to you and I'll serve you. He's not begging you to serve him. Okay? It's very important you know that. So I showed you last week. Jesus is not begging you to serve him. Both in the old and in the new, he tells them in Joshua, if this is too much for you, then serve the gods of the culture. If this is too much for you, then go serve the gods of your past. He tells them that. If serving the Lord seems like a burden to you, then let me remove the burden. Go serve the culture. If serving the Lord is a burden to you, then go serve the gods of your past. Serve the gods of Egypt or serve the gods of the Amorites in the land that you live. The culture or the past. You pick. Then Jesus tells the same thing. He gives the cost of being a disciple. And what's he say? Anybody want to help me? Take up your cross. What's, what's the first part before he says, take up your cross? We like to say, take up your cross and follow him. But no, 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 no. There's a, pri- there's, there's a preamble to that. Deny yourself. Article one, deny you. Your life doesn't belong to you. We like to, well, just taking up my cross and following Jesus, pastor. Yeah, well, let's go back a little further. You must deny yourself. Everything about you is irrelevant. Everything about him is what's relevant. It's not what I want, it's what he wants. It's not who I say I am, it's who he says I am. It's not the purpose that I create for my life, it's the purpose that he has created for me. That's the contradiction. 
And what ends up happening is we cannot get the harmony of the gospel right. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not naive to believe that preaching this message, everybody's going to get on board with it. I get it. understand that. But we don't preach this message at all. So when you preach this message, there's probably 15% of the room that will begin to align their life with it. The majority of them, it just flies right over their head. That's just the statistic. Less than 15% actually activate. You're gonna, you get a percentage, you get about 20% that go... Woo, that was awesome. Then you get 15% of that, 20 usually, statistically. This, this applies to business conferences. No matter what seminar you go to, everybody wants the knowledge, everybody wants the tapes, but, not, uh, but a very small percentage of the people will actually align with the teaching. It's just true. But nonetheless, we have to proclaim the message in order that even though the, the smaller percentage, but we don't proclaim it at all, so the results that we get within the church are very minimal. We'll do it all for you. We'll do it all for you. I, I want to go to the church that tickles me. I like the pinwheels and the cotton candies on Sunday morning. This is the American gospel. Skinny jeans and smoke machines, the pastor with the cool hair, and the youth band on stage that jumps around and makes me feel like I'm 20 again. You're not 20! It's true. Let us forsake these things. Let us become who we are. When I became a man, I what? Put aside childish things. Let us go on to maturity. These are the things that the Bible tells us to do. We keep the church in infant state. Sucking their thumb all the time. We think that the standard upon all people is to volunteer on Sunday morning. Oh, wow. And people that volunteer on Sunday morning, in in, in a lot of the American church, they want a badge because you volunteer. Oh, no, no, I can't, I can't do that. I volunteer on Sunday morning. Well, bless your heart. I, I'm not beli- I don't want you to understand something. I'm not belittling that. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. that, that's, but, that but that is not... But we, act like we're, we're, we act like we're in a doctrinal program and we're in kindergarten. No, serious. There's so much more. It's nothing wrong with volunteering on Sunday. I volunteer. I do lots of things. But I'm not looking for a medal every time I do something. You know what I mean? I'm trying to push into the high things. The high calling, that's the upward calling that's in Christ Jesus. I don't want to leave anything on the field, man. We're going to stand before a king and we will account for our lives. You won't account for what you did for you, you'll account for what you did for him. That's your reward. <laughs> you get a reward from Jesus that doesn't go away. I'm sorry, I'll take that all the time. I have something eternal attached to it. And you know what he does? He puts it out there as a proposition. And the wise and discerning understand it, but the fool lets it pass them by. Because they, they exchange a calling like Esau for a pot of meat. They choose the flesh over a spiritual calling. They, shoot, they choose the temporary over the eternal. It's a spirit of Esau. You've heard me say it before. It's over the church. We trade spiritual rights for carnal, carnal uh, satisfactions, immediate satisfactions. So we trade off the eternal reward for something that's immediate. And Jesus, what does he say when we present ourselves to him? He says, I say to you, you have, you've had your reward. You were rewarded. You got it. You got the fame. You got the accolades. You signed your 8 by 10 glossies at the door. You, you, you had your stock portfolio. You went on your, you know, and I'm not against stock portfolios. I'm not against vacations. I'm not against any of that. So just say, do you understand where I'm coming from? Yes. Thank you. I got one person. Okay. I'm all in on vacations. I like vacations. I'm all in on stock portfolios. I wish I had one. 
Okay? Right? I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we worship at the altar of that. That's where we think, that's what we, we, we put all of, our, all of our energy and all of the pressure of our life is focused towards that goal. And the problem with that is, is it wrong? It's not wrong, but it's not the calling. It's not the ekaleo. You say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you're born again. There's a calling on you, Christian. There's an ekaleo over you. He's calling. Wisdom is standing in the streets, calling out aloud. How long, you simple ones, will you what? Love simplicity. How long will you live simply when God has something great for you? You How long will you want that when God has something great for you? We settle for putting our kids in the best schools when what God expects them to do is to be taught of the Lord. It doesn't matter if your kid goes to, uh, you know, whatever this expensive school is in the Grove. Nothing wrong with that school. If you can afford to put them in that private school, go for it. But what's more important to the Lord is not their 2.0, 5.0, whatever, their 4.5 and all their... Ex- whatever, whatever they have, whatever their GPA is, or whatever school they're in, that's not what matters to Jesus. What matters to Jesus is, is their heart being impacted with the gospel. That's what matters to Him. So there again, you know, what would we, you know, even as, you know, loving your family, honoring your parents all, your, or your children, all that stuff, that's wonderful. But, and God's okay with that, but not at the expense of the other. That's our problem. Is we, we have to, we, we, you always have to prioritize the kingdom. Honor. When in doubt, honor. And you say, well, well, there's no time for me. Well, that, what, does it care? what does it matter? What does it matter? I love to honor the Lord. I look for every opportunity possible to honor the Lord. It's not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires commitment. But, it, but it's extremely rewarding. Nobody serves Jesus and he doesn't reward them. Nobody. 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 Change isn't easy. We resist because our priorities are wrong. Or we fail to discern what he's doing in our life. Lord, make me more like you. Lord, I want a calling on my life. Lord, I want to be who you showed me as a child. I want to follow that calling. And you know what he begins to do in your adult life? He begins to deconstruct everything around you. And then we fight it. Because we don't understand what it is that he's doing. He's taking your world apart, Christian. He's taking you apart. Because what you asked him to do. And then you get mad and you go, no, don't do that. And then he stops. That's what happens. We, fail, we resist because we don't understand that what we've actually asked for, he's given. I had a woman, her husband was in a really rough state. She needed him to come to Christ. She gave him to pray for him. The guy gets worse. She's like, I'm not praying for my husband anymore. I said, why? She's like, because when I pray for him, he gets worse. I'm like, could it be that you're praying for him and God is accelerating the problem? Instead of taking five years to bring him to his end, he's going to do it in a year and a half. Because your prayer is accelerating the inevitable. You're asking the Lord to help and he's helping. How? By making the brother worse. Or allowing him to get worse. She was not discerning what the Lord was doing. I'm like, what do you think? You're going to pray and it's a Shazam. He's going to wake up and go, hey, I need Jesus. He's going he's gonna to come to Christ when he comes to the end of himself. And he's going to come to the end of himself in five years on the plan that he has, or he's going to come to the end of himself in about 18 months with the prayer plan that God has put in front of you. He's giving you what you've asked him for, what you're asking for. And we resist what God is doing because we're not discerning as to what it is that he's doing. I want something different in my life. Lord, I'm believing you for a promotion. Lord, I'm believing you for a better job. Lord, I'm believing you for a better opportunity. And then living hell starts happening in your workplace. 
your company starts downsizing and you start going into a panic. Sometimes God has to boot you from the nest. That's what an eagle does with her young. The eagle's young will not leave the nest. The mother flings them from the nest. Throws them. No, she flings them. Because if not, that bird will just be sitting there. Feed me the whole time. God flings you from the nest. He sometimes takes you. You're asking Him and believing Him, and you should believe Him, but you should also discern that whatever God is doing in your life, He's doing it for your good. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. We, we resist Him because we don't understand what He's doing. We have to understand that everything God is doing is for two purposes. And you want God doing it. You do not want, you do not, you want Jesus working in your life. You want Him working in your life. The worst thing in the world is for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to not work in your life. And people go, Holy Spirit's always working in the life of the Christian. No, He's not. No, He is not. My Spirit will not always strive with man. He's not going to argue with you forever. He's not going to contend with you forever. Just like He did Jacob, He was leaving. He was leaving. He labored all night with Jacob to try to get Jacob on the same page. Jacob wouldn't, and He said, I'm leaving. Ah, doesn't mean he won't come back, but he's not, he's not going to make it easy. You're going to have to ask for it. You're going to have to want it. What he's given to you and what he's trying to do with you by relationship and grace, if you resist it, he'll leave you alone. That's the worst place. It's called Ichabod. No glory. When the church doesn't want him working in the church, he leaves. Oh, they still got doctrine. They still got songs. They still got sermons. But there's no glory. Ichabod. He writes that over his churches and he writes it over people. You're still born again. He still loves you, but there's no glory on your life. No glory. And so some of you, you're, you're in this place. You've got to go back and revisit where you resisted him. You've got to go back and go, what did I do wrong, Lord? When I, and where, where was that nexus? Where was that point where I chose not to? What was the point of departure? It doesn't mean that he's not with you. It doesn't mean his love is taken from you. I'm talking about the forward momentum of his purpose in your life. That ceases. <laughs> Look around. Look around. And you have to go back and find that. Where did I, where did I do it? Where, where did I not? Where was this where where was this this moment happened where this didn't? Some of you, you never even had a moment with him. You were taught long ago that the Holy Spirit doesn't talk. That after Jesus wrote his word, he got laryngitis and he doesn't speak anymore. And he has an eternal state of laryngitis. Everything that's spoken is written down, and that's it. That's all we need to know. Don't need to know anything else. Who told you that? We resist because we don't know what he's doing. We resist because crazy's normal. Crazy's normal. People don't like change. They act like change is a four-letter word, even though it's not. They don't like change. Oh, we want change. We want change. As long as it doesn't cost me anything. I want change as long as it doesn't disrupt my life. Or, I want change as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Or, I want change as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. You're not changing. There's not going to be change. Change makes you uncomfortable. When you change houses, is that comfortable? When you change jobs, is that comfortable? No. When seasons change and you're not prepared for it, is that comfortable? When the winter comes and you're not down here, we don't understand this. We're like, what? When, when, 
are you talking about, man? I wear shorts 24-7 down here. You know, yeah, but when seasons change and you don't have the proper clothing or you're not prepared for it, when winter comes and you're not ready, up north they spend almost the whole fall getting the house ready for what? For winter. You're preparing for winter because a change is coming and you need to prepare for it. We resist because crazy is normal. We resist because dysfunction becomes our identity. God wants to change you. He wants to transform you. Lord, make me more like you. And he's going to go, okay, I'm going to deal with your impatience. What? Do you know how he deals with your impatience? Lord, make me more patient. He puts the most testing and trying people around you. (laughs) I'm going to teach you how to be patient. By putting the worst, the people that just get under your skin. <laughs> and we say, well, I'm just timid or I'm just an impatient person. You, you, accept, you, you need to stop accepting dysfunction. You need to stop identifying with dysfunction. You need to. Next slide. The other way is the enemy resists positive spiritual change with lies and, and reinforcing realities. You go, I'm a loser. You believe a lie. I'm never going to succeed. And you know what the enemy does? Yep, that's right. He agrees with you. Anything that's opposed to what Jesus says about you, the devil is in complete compliance with. He agrees with it. He not only will agree with it, he'll reinforce it for you. (laughs) Nobody likes you. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. And then you'll go to the grocery store and the clerk will will say something off to you and you'll be, see, nobody likes me. That's why she's mean to me. Nobody likes me. (laughs) He lies to you. You believe the lie and then he reinforces it with a reality. Say this with me. Reality Reality is not truth. truth. Does the gospel call us to live by reality or does it call us to live by truth? truth? Truth. Truth is you're loved on your worst day. Truth is nothing can separate you from the love of God. Truth is it doesn't, it's a small matter to be judged by people when you're accepted in Christ. That's the truth. Try it. Truth says you're favored, even though circumstances don't. And you pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. That's how the game is played. But we don't like doing that because that costs us something. That costs us our time. That costs us our energy. We have to actually do something. We, I'm telling you, this is like, it's, it's, it's lazy gospel, man. I'm serious. That's the modern church. It's discipline. Did Jesus, did Jesus say to David, hey, sit down, David, and I'll go take care of the giant for you? <laughs> he said, David, you're going to face your greatest fear. You're going to face what everyone in this camp is afraid of. But what I'm going to tell you is I'm with you. I'm not going to sling the rock, but I will allow that giant to fall. You will see the defeat of your enemies. But if David didn't go to the field, nothing was happening. Nothing happened. We think that Jesus is just going to take care of it all for us. Who told you that? God is not looking for, he's not looking for a bunch of souls who are quaking in their camp waiting for him to do something. He's looking for people who will come in partnership and walk with him. Telling you. Some of you, I don't know who this is for. I believe there's multi-million dollar businesses in this room. There is. There is. But what has to happen, you have to believe that God has that. You have to have the courage to step into it. And then you have to have the faithfulness to walk it out. It's like like the guy who told me I'm going to write four books. I'm going to write four books. Bless God, I'm going to write four books. God's told me I'm writing four books. Four books. Walks around with a microphone. The Lord has told me I'm going to write four books. I went to that same church three years ago, right? 
three years later, I went to the same church. Same guy gets up. He's got a testimony. The Lord has told me to write four books. Same testimony, three years apart. Don't do that around me. Then we'll walk up to you and I'm going to go, how are the books going, brother? Because that's what I asked him. So how's the books? You told me like, I heard like three years ago you testified. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting on Jesus. Waiting on Jesus. And I go, you got a chapter? You got a title? You got, you got, you got any kind of concept behind these books that you want to write? Anything at all? You got a word in the beginning? You know? Uh, you got something? You got nothing. Because you're believing God's going to do it. It's a partnership. You step into it. The vision speaks. When you step into the vision, then the vision speaks. The vision's not talking until you're moving. It's not talking. It's crazy because like even the things that we're doing right now, because we, we, I don't just teach this stuff. I live it. I live it. So I know the struggles that are related to it. And I'm not going to give you something that's like out of a coloring book. And this is, this is something that I learned. This is something that I'm living. And this stuff is the stuff that we experience in real time. You know, we begin to press into the vision of God. And as we begin to press into the vision of God, the vision starts speaking. It starts talking. It's amazing. Amazing thing. I'll give you one. I don't know if you all do this, but this is me. And I just told my wife, she goes, wow, I need to practice that. Say this with me. Complaints go up. Right. I don't complain to people. I mean, Sherry's an exception because she's my wife. You know, she, hears, she hears my complaints. You know, but I don't complain to people. I complain to the Lord. I bring it to him. And then I let him talk back to me. And I've been complaining about my life, where I am, what I feel called to, what I'm compelled towards for a while. And in the beginning of the year, I was fasting, I was praying, and I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to do exactly what I'm going to tell you to do for 24 months, and I want you to shut up. And in December of 2020, you can come back to me with any, any further complaints you have. But I don't want to hear one complaint, not a complaint, but a complaint about me personally, where I'm at, what I want. I don't want to hear one more personal complaint about your life. I want you to shut up and do what I've told you for two years. And at the end of the two years, and I had no clue what we were going to do. And, I, and so like, then all of a sudden I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to put my head down. And I was just sharing this with Sherry the other day. And she goes, wow, I need to do that. And all of a sudden, and I knew God was going to bring stuff. I knew it. I knew we had the school going. So we start off with a, with a school. We're going to do a school. And as we kind of move into the school and we start moving towards the school, it starts navigating itself towards a preschool. That was not the initial intent. But that seems to be the gateway. That seems to be the door by which we have access. And so the vision didn't speak in the beginning. And we started off, when we started with the school, I'll just tell you how vision speaks. We started off with the concept of a charter school. And so I've got, you know, Tom, who does a lot of business directing around here. I got him writing a charter. And he probably had 50, 60 hours committed into writing the charter, you know, because it takes about three years to start a charter school. You have to write the charter. You have to get the charter approved. Then you have to wait till the following school year to do the charter, to get the charter. So it's about, it's about a three-year process just to begin a charter school. So we were going to do a charter school. That was what we were going to pitch. And <clears throat> then along the line, God shifts it, shows me a different model. I'm like, okay. So I go to Tom. I'm like, we're not doing a charter school. He's like, you know, <laughs> division speaking, Right. So then we're going to do this specific type of school. So I, we're, Danny's here. Danny's probably got 100 hours at least in what I told her to research for us. So I want research. I want this. I want this. I want this. When I ask a question, I want the answer. You know, I want the data. You know? And so she does all this research. She puts a book together. You know, it's got a binder. We still probably end up doing that at some point. And then as we're progressing towards this, 
it pivots again and it goes to a, it go, because we have dates and timelines there that become restrictive to us. We have to hit a window. It's like we've got to be like a Jedi, you know, like Luke Skywalker. In order for us to fulfill this, we have to hit the target in a specific amount of time. And we can do that if we have something else going on. In other words, if we have the preschool going on, then we'll be able to hit the target. But we can't hit the target just coming into it blind. So we had to pivot again. And so then we pivot again into a preschool, right? And so then we have that. And we're working on the preschool. We set the lease on the preschool and everything. We're just waiting on them to finalize their, their inspections. And we're, we're good to go. And so then we shift again. And then Diana puts in probably at least the equal amount of hours that Danny put into the school. She puts into the preschool, Right? And developing that and all that. But the point I'm trying to make is that the vision was this. And people go, no, God told me. God told me to do a charter school. I'm going to do a charter school. He never told me to do a charter school. He told me to do a school. That's what he told me. And so, and I understand the concept that the vision speaks. So I begin to move down this. Okay, we're shifting. We're shifting. And people go, would you make up your mind? It's like, I'm not making up my mind. I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit. It's not an issue of me making up my mind. It's an issue of what the Holy Spirit wants. Then as we begin to progress and all the things that I've laid before, then we get a guy that comes here and he's with India and his dad oversees um, church planting in India, but his dad ends up doing orphanages, which those are the orphanages over there. So we start partnering, trying to help him out. But I go, does your dad want to do orphanages? He goes, no, my dad wants to plant churches. I go, then why is he doing orphanages? And he goes, because he got caught up into the orphanages and all these different things happened with him. Well, I want to plant churches globally. That nobody, not a, lot, not a lot of people know that, but Jesus knows that. And I know that God's told me that that's what I'm going to do at some point. So here's this guy coming and he goes, my, my, my father oversees 150 pastors in India. And I told him, I said, and I started asking him a bunch of questions. And I'm like, look, we don't need 150. I need 20. So we're initiating a plan. We're going to, do, we're going to work, start working this year with 20 pastors. We're going to disciple them. We're going to turn them into ministers. And we're going to turn them into church planners. And out of the 20, what do you expect? Five? Five, five will make it. Why? Because I'm not, I'm not looking for hirelings. I'm looking for people who are committed to the work and are willing to give in to the work. So I told him I don't need 150. Like typically what happens with pastors, they're like, oh, you oversee 150 pastors? Me and you, Pastor John, I'm now the Bishop of India and I oversee 150 pastors overnight. <laughs> the problem is, is that the structure, the infrastructure of those churches is not there. So those guys are pastors, quote-unquote, in name alone. But they basically don't have any kind of training. They have no kind of focus. They don't have any kind of ministry direction. All of this came when the Lord told me, shut up and do what I put in front of you for 24 months. That just came to me, right? And so I'm saying, okay, he put this in front of me. This is where we're going to go to. Then I've had this thing. I'm sitting in the back, and I'm writing down grants, grants, grants one day. Just writing it down. Grants, 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 randomly. After second service, guy walks up, and he goes, Pastor, you ever thought about doing grants? And he goes, I got a buddy who's a grant writer and used to write millions of dollars worth of grants for an organization downtown. And he said, you should talk to him. I've been, ta- I've been thinking about grants for years. It's just, there's a, it, it's a, it's a, you've got to get in the game. It's a, get, you gotta, it's, it's a rule book that you've got to play by. It's a who you know kind of situation. Wednesday, we're submitting a grant for $125,000 to do drug prevention in the schools. Okay? We're believing God that we're going to get it. But that wasn't there when there, you know. And so, like, sometimes you have to be obedient and you cannot be resistant to what God is doing in your life. Amen. God is telling you something. Complain, tell him, Lord, I want more. And then he go, and then he go, and then he'll go, well, I want you to do a school. I didn't want to do a school. You go, I want more. And he'll go, do a school. And he'll go, well, I don't want that. You know, 
And then he'll go, oh, you know, I want more. And the Lord will go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to start working with church planners in India. It's going to take you time. You're going to have to develop things. You're going to have to build this, but you're going to do it. And I could have went, I don't want to work with India. Why am I working with India? Because it's the one that the Lord handed me, right? Somebody goes, well, I want to work with England, and I want to do No, I don't work with India. I only work here, man. It's like you believe God for something, and he begins to bring it to you, and you resist because it doesn't match your dynamic. People do that all the time with getting married. Oh, no. Yeah. She's not what I wanted. People that were obedient to the Lord got married. I remember there's a couple, there's a couple, this happened a couple of times. One couple, the guy was just kind of like, you know, whatever. But she was like, like really dowdy, right? Super dowdy. Now, I don't mean to pick on her, but this is, she was the one that super transformed into marriage. She used to wear like long, and if you wear broom skirts, don't get mad at me. But back in the day, broom skirts were in. She had long hair. She almost never wore makeup. She had even kind of like weird glasses on all the time, right? She gets married to this guy, and they walk in, and, it looked, and, and within a period of time, they look like Banana Republic models. Their two lives, they were transformed in that. He could have looked at her and said, she's not what I want. She could have looked at him and said, she's not what I want. But God put them together and began to catalyze the relationship. And out of the relationship, something blossomed. We want things on our own terms, right? I know you guys think all this was just naturally born to me. (laughs) I had a mullet, okay? I was just talking to Jesse back there. I said, my wife doesn't like me to dress like a worker. And so she likes, she prefers me a little more because somebody was commenting on my shirt like, oh, I like the pocket. And I go, yeah, it's kind of quirky. But she doesn't want me dressing like a worker, right? That's what she'll tell me. I don't think I ever dress like a worker, but, I, you know, I get what she's saying. She wants me to dress preppy, right? Or she wants me to dress nice. She wants me to look nice. She wants my, you know, she wants whatever hair I have. She wants it to look <laughs> the right way, right? So I just try to work with her on that. You know, and I, I try to let the relationship form. It's how God does it in our life. He's working with you, and we, we resist because we don't like it the way that he's telling us. How does Jesus bring change into our lives? Number one, say it with me. He brings, or he sends, the Holy Spirit. That is the number one way that God changes our life. There is no other way that he changes our life. Now, I'm going to tell you what, what's typically taught within the church. We will say... Know the Word of God. Very good. That's one of the points. But then we'll say, discipline yourself into the Word of God. If you, How's that working for anybody? Anybody want to testify on that? I'm going to tell you right now, disciplining yourself into the Word of God is extremely limited. Because you, in human form, have limited capacity. You can't do it. You need the Spirit of God to do the things that God has told you to do. That's why He gave you His Spirit. He gave you power to be His witness. He gave you power to be His disciples. He gave you power to follow Him. You can't, you, you know, the biggest burden Christians are, that are placed upon Christians, and it's because we tell the Holy Spirit to wait outside, is we put the pressure, the downward pressure on the Christian to do what they in and of themselves cannot do. And we'll quote verses, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's true. In the Spirit. In the Spirit you can do everything. You are insanely powerful. But we quote that verse and we have no relationship to the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to do it by sheer force of will. Good luck. Good luck. You won't succeed. And then you'll beat yourself up, and then you'll be guilty, and then you'll get the shame trip, and then the enemy will come and lie to you and reinforce it with false realities. I'm a loser Christian. He's like, yep, you're a loser Christian. 
Look at all the things that you said you were going to do and you didn't do any of them. Because you can't. You can't. It's not by might. Come on. That's right. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Well, it says you can't do it. You can't do it. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I'll go away. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I leave, I'll send him. So Jesus is leaving. The disciples are like, don't go. Please don't go. Right? He's handy. You're hungry? Fish and chips. Boom. No problem. You need money? Another fish pops up. There's gold coins. Miracles? All kinds of things. Signs, wonders, everything. Jesus is like, look, if I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit. And it's going to, it's going to go universal upon all believers. This power is going to come to all. And so one of the ways that God transforms us is by bringing the Holy Spirit, a relationship and an intimacy and a cultivated intimacy with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. Now I'm going to really rock some boats and I'm going to get some people who want to lay fists on me afterwards, but I'm going to tell you this. Ready? It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, the churches did not have a Bible. The Gentiles did not have Scripture. That's why you have Romans. That's why you have Ephesians. Because the letters are being written to those churches because they had no instruction at all. But what they had was the Holy Spirit. The church in its early... We want to go back to the book of Acts. You know what the book of Acts is? Complete and utter dependency upon the Spirit of God. That's what it is. Complete and utter dependency upon the Holy Spirit. John tells him in 3 John, you have a teacher, you have an instructor, the Holy Spirit. This same teacher, the Spirit of God, instructs you and teaches you. But we're so dull, we can't hear Him. We can't hear Him. We're not coached and instructed in hearing the voice. Are you trying to say the Bible's not important? No, I'm not saying that at all. And you're going to see it in a second. That's not what I'm saying. But we emphasize Scripture at the expense of the Holy Spirit. That is a huge problem. Or, we have the opposite side of the coin. We emphasize Spirit without Scripture. Holy Spirit speaks the language of the Bible. That's what He speaks. But the, but the Scripture without the Spirit, the letter what? Kills. Kills. That's why we have swords hacking people to death. Because it's word, word, huh, word, huh. Letter kills. Legalism. Word, word, word. No Spirit. No grace. No spiritual empowerment behind the teaching. No right discernment into the teaching. Because we don't want the Holy Spirit. We, we have a pseudo-understanding. The Holy Spirit is just the warm glow that comes upon us. That's all He is. He's nothing more. He's a person who's intimate and wants a relationship and will build with you as much as you will allow Him to. He'll only go as far as you want. God stopped working there. No, you did. You did. He didn't stop anything. He's forever working. Transforming your thinking. That's the second thing. There's got to be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Oh, oh, we got to change the way we think. Yeah, man. That's what it looks like. Bible tells us in Romans 12 not to conform to this world, but to transform. So let's look at these words. The word conform means to comply with accepted norms. So it's telling us, do not comply with the accepted norms around you. But do what? Be transformed. How, what does that mean? Move into an entirely new state of being. Now to understand this, you've got to understand the word culture, which is related to the Greek word cosmos, which is where we get the word world. So the word cosmos, related to the word culture, it means system of thinking. That's what it means. 
a system of thinking. So the world is not a place, it's a system of... That's right. And I've spent... You've heard me... I've been teaching this for several years now. And I've been, I, do, I meditate on it all the time. And the Lord, I just told this to Sherry too. We have really cool conversations. At least I think so. I think so. But yeah. <laughs> I felt like the Lord told me because we're always trying to talk about kingdom culture and the culture of the world. You know what the Lord told me? He said, there's another culture that's equally opposed to me as much as the, as the worldly culture. And it's the church culture. Oh, no. Oh, no. We have the worldly way of thinking and we have the church way of thinking. So if you're thinking about the culture, we're called to think on earth as it is in heaven. From his world to ours. We're called to have the mind of Christ to see and believe and understand and act as he does. On earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom culture. That's what we're a part of. We're the, back up one. We're not part of the kingdom. We're not part of the worldly culture. And you're not part of the church culture. The culture of the church is to be a kingdom culture. Yes. Not bound by doctrine. So let's look at church culture. Church culture is attitudes, beliefs, doctrines, denominational viewpoints. I'm all for any of that as long as it lines up with the kingdom. But there are doctrines that are taught that are not in kingdom. Doctrines are taught that God doesn't speak anymore. That is a false doctrine. It's not a heresy. In other words, it's not a doctrine that creates uh, 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 something that's outside of Christ, but it's a false teaching. False teaching. There are doctrines that say there are no miracles. That's a false teaching. Where is it? Where is it? Show me. They can't. Oh, they'll quote Calvin, or they'll quote some reformer, or they'll quote something like that. I can equally quote that. That's a false teaching. It's false teaching. It's a false teaching that says we're supposed to do nothing except wait till Jesus comes. We're just abiding until Jesus comes. Who told you that? Who told you that? The church has a culture. They have a worldly, they have an attitude within the church. Jesus said, he told the Pharisees, by your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Yes. We have a way of doing things, huh, that is irrelevant. The kingdom culture is welcoming. The church culture oftentimes is exclusive. Exclusive. Was it you, Mickey? You went to that one, I don't want to tell the church, but you went to a church one time, and they went to a prayer meeting, and he said one of the elders walked up and goes, who are you with? It's like, you're that group over here? And he said, well, don't even think about coming here because you all are not welcome. Oh, that was Haiti? Yeah, so they said, don't, you're, not even, you're not welcome here. That's what they, what they said to him. Isn't that crazy? We have church culture, we have kingdom culture. Culture is a systematic development of a mindset or attitudes that impacts the way of thinking of a society. It's where we get the word cultivate from. If you want to think like the gospel and you want to think like the kingdom, you have to cultivate that line of thinking. Just like a farmer has to cultivate the earth, you have to cultivate the ground to get it to grow. You have to cultivate that, that way of thinking. When I came to Jesus, I didn't know anything about church culture. I came in blind with my eyes wide open. And what I found myself doing within a very short amount of time was I began, began to comply with accepted norms. Now, what that was, was it was a lot of traditionalism, right? So their, their traditionalism was, one of the traditions was, you dress like you're ready to meet the king, you know? And so you wore your Sunday best, you know, you looked like, and if you didn't, and they would let you know that you need to dress like you're ready to meet Jesus today. And I'm kind of like, you know, now that, that's, 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 was the cultural norm of the church, right? That's not the cultural norm of the kingdom. The gospels come as you are, you know, 
If anything, the only time Jesus corrected people for dressing is when they were dressing too elaborately to call attention to themselves. You know, like the Pharisees. They loved to extend the robes and hem the garments so that they could be seen of men. So they would condemn you if you didn't dress up. That was a, what I found myself doing was conforming to cultural norms. You're to transform. The way the church thinks oftentimes, when, and I'll give you the American church. I'll just give it to you, the American church. This is modern American church. Sit back and we'll do it for you. That is modern American church. Relax. You comfortable? Everybody comfortable? You like the, you like the recliners we got downstairs? You know, what do you think of the, oh, bless God, what did you think of the fish tank? You like the fish tank? Was it too cold this morning? Was the worship too long? Was it too loud? Did we make you uncomfortable in any way? That's conformity. That's what the church does. The, the gospel, the kingdom is not about conformity. It's about conviction. It's not about comfort. Right? We, the, the social norms within the church, the culture of the church, modern America, don't say anything that might offend anyone. We don't. They don't want to say anything. And so the words, you, you, you can write it down. There are pastors, you can listen to 15 or 20 messages, and you'll never hear the word sin. You'll never hear it. You'll never hear the word devil. You'll never, heard, you'll never hear the word righteousness. You won't hear any, anything like that because it won't come out. of You won't hear anything that's not accepted. A worldly, it's not, they, they, they operate according to a culture that's different than the one that the God has established. Or we have the other side of the corn that's extreme where we're just beating people up. So the, the church is really leaning hard this way and into tolerance on all levels where it's just, oh, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We don't want to, we don't want to call people unto the righteous standards of the kingdom. We want to just, it's just love and acceptance. That's what it is. Jesus is a God of love and acceptance. Ask him what love means. Define love from a biblical point of view. That's your question. Next time they go, Jesus is all about love. You say, yeah, what does love mean? What does love mean? According to the Lord, what does love mean? It means to seek the highest good. That's what love means from the Bible. It's, it's not a feeling. It's not emotion. It's not just this overall acceptance. It's to seek the highest good of the person. And God's love towards us is to love you too much to leave you as you are. To, to tell you you're blind. To tell you your actions are destructive. To tell you this is not righteousness. This way will not produce life. There's nothing unloving about that. Nothing wrong with that. That's actually somebody actually telling you. That, that's what love is. Next slide. Holy Spirit changes us by His Word, okay? So the Spirit of God comes and He changes us through the Word. He uses the truth to set us apart. The Word of God is preeminent, but it's not at the exclusion. It's the inclusion of the Holy Spirit within the Scripture. The Word and power coming together at the same time. We're no longer children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or made a lie sound like the truth. Instead, we hold on to the truth. And we become more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, Ephesians 4. We learn the scripture. The scripture was given to us. It's our guide. It's our instruction. It's the foundation upon all things that are built. But it's not it. So if I came to your house, and all you did was dig foundations, right? Anybody's in the building business. And all you did was put the footers around the house. That's it. You just had the slab work done. Right? You had the footers down. You had the slab. And you go, hey, welcome to my house. There wouldn't be much to celebrate. Well, you got the foundation down, a happy day. The Word of God is that. It's the foundation upon which all everything else is constructed. It's not, all everything is built from the Word of God, but it's not everything is that. We need the Spirit of God. We learn to apply to Scripture in all forms, right? Ready? Ready? 
There's three Greek words for the word of God. Three. So if there's three Greek words, that means when the Bible uses these words, it's talking about something that's different. So when it uses the word word, it's not using it in a singular way. He's using the Bible. So in other words, if there's the word love in the Bible, and it's agape, phileo, eros, or um, I forget the other one, uh, orge, yeah, yeah, that, storge, storge, storge. It's four different types of love. It's talking about, each time it's using that love, it's talking about something different. Agape is the love of God. Phileo is the love of friendship. Storge is the love of ice cream or chocolate chip cookies, right? Eros is intimate love, sexual love. So it's, it's talking about different love in different stages. So when it uses the word word, it's talking about a different type of, of word. There's the word logos. Say it with me. Logos. Logos is the written word. We build our camp on that, right? That's good. That's the foundation. But there's also the rhema word. Revelation word. Right? So we have the logos word, and then we have a revealed word within that. The Spirit of God revealing something to you. Anybody reading their Bible, you've been believing God for something and something's revealed to you through the scripture, right? That's a rhema word. It comes alive to you, right? God so loved. I'm reading the, I remember this thing standing out to me and I'm reading John. I love John. And I'm reading John. It's the God so loved the world. And it just kept coming out to me. So loved. So loved. That's a rhema word. God is speaking to me and he's saying to me, I don't love Kevin. I so love. And something is being revealed to me as I'm reading. Some of you, you're believing God for something, and the Lord will reveal it to you through a scripture. That's why it's important to get the Bible in us, because it becomes the foundation, and the Holy Spirit begins to give you revelation. So we not only have the Logos Word of God, we have the Rhema Word of God, and we have another Greek word called prophe. And that's the root of what? Anybody want to help me with that? Prophetic. The prophetic Word of God. Oh, no, God's not speaking that at all. So what we've done is we've eliminated these two. And we're operating, with, we, we got a three-legged stool, and we only got one leg. You know? And we're trying to sit down and we're trying to build something off of a three-legged stool when we only got one leg that's functioning. We have a rhema word, and then we have a logo, we have a prof, prophetic word. Prophetic word of God is what God speaks directly to you over your life. Prophetic word can come to you through a teaching, so I can be teaching this, and as I'm teaching you this, I'm giving you the logos, I'm, pro- I'm pro- proclaiming it profe, and you're getting a revelation into it, so you've got the perfect storm. Prophetic word can also be, Lord, who am I to you? Lord, what is my calling? And he speaks prophetically over you. Prophetic word can also be, I need a word over my life, and God begins to speak over your life. We have a prophetic team. We honor the prophetic. It's the foundation of all kingdom powers, the prophetic, prophet, priest, and king. We believe in power. We don't just believe in power, we believe in kingdom power. Kingdom power doesn't happen by default. Prophet, priest, king. If the prophetic is not honored, there's no kingdom power. That's why the church has no power. Do you know why? Because we've kicked the prophetic right out the door. You will never have kingdom power without the prophetic. You won't. If you don't honor the prophetic, you will not have kingdom power. You say, well, I believe in the prophetic. But if you don't honor the prophetic, honor creates access. Honoring the prophetic creates access into the prophetic. Prophetic, priestly ministry, kingdom power. It's a progression. Removes interfering influences. The other thing the Holy Spirit does is he cleans out your garage. He cleans out your closet. You want God to do something with your life. You want God to change you. Lord, change me. Lord, change my circumstances. And he starts to deal with your attitudes. And he starts to deal with the things in your life that you're harboring, that you don't want to get rid of. He cleans everything out. The first place he wants to do is clean out your heart. Guilt, shame, 
whatever lies, dysfunctions, He cleans out your heart. Another thing He cleans out, oh, He cleans out our relationships. <laughs> Sometimes the people you're around are your worst, you, you are your own worst enemy because of the people you're associating with. And we're so afraid of being alone that we sacrifice and we compromise something. Again, a porridge for some carnal need. I need, I need meat. So we go and we put ourselves in toxic relationships or godless relationships. And we sacrifice something on the side, on, on the other side. God changes your relationships. He changes your schedule. I don't have time for Jesus. Well, brother, you don't have time at all. I mean, I... I <laughs> I don't have time to fish. I got time for Jesus. I don't have time to do this, but I have time for Jesus. He changes your schedule. If you want transformation, I'm just telling you how the Holy Spirit works. You don't have to want, you don't have to allow it, but what you need to know is that this is the process, that this is what He's doing. He's bringing change. He, he challenges you on your habits. Your habits. You have a bad habit of doing these things. You have a bad habit of doing that. And what, watch this. You ready for this? You ready for this? I think we got big boys and big girls in the room here. So I'm going to tell you this. When God points out a habit to you, His point in pointing out the habit is not to say, look at that habit. His point is to get you to ask the question, why do I do that, Lord? That's, his in, that's what He wants. He wants relationship with you. Why am I doing that? What motivates me? What's broken in me? What's missing with me? Why am I compelled to this? Why do I gravitate this way? Why do I do that? You know, Kevin, every time you get sick, no, I'm not saying this is me, but there are people, every time they get successful, they completely blow it up. They just destroy it. And he'll say, every time I give you something, you smash it. I know, I'm such a loser. And the devil goes, yep, you're a loser. See, you smashed it. The Lord, the Lord's even telling you that you smashed it. So he thinks you're a loser. The Lord never told you you were a loser. God never speaks that over you. What he speaks to you as he'll point out the habit and he'll see if you're wise enough to understand what he's doing. He'll, he'll test you to see if you know that you're loved. If you don't respond, if you run in the corner and suck your thumb, you hear me say it all the time, all that's doing is revealing a heart in you that you don't know you're loved. When he says to you, you have a habit of every time these things happen, this is your habit. You do this. I can't, I can't keep working with you if you keep doing this. I'm like, Lord, I want this, I want this. I'll just give you my own life. I've shared this several times, but I'll share it again because this is the example that's coming to me. I want it. And the Lord goes, well, you got a problem with unbelief, Kevin. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? I got a problem with unbelief? That's what he says to me. I'm asking him, and he said, here's your bad habit. I'm going to give you a bad habit you have. You have a bad habit of unbelief. I need to believe God more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. Pray for me. Pray for me. I need faith. Pray over me. I need faith. That's not the response. The response is into the Spirit. Lord, where is my unbelief? Where is my unbelief? And He'll tell you. Every time I tell you to do something, you do the opposite. Or every time I tell you this, you don't perform. I put a word over you, you do nothing with it. You don't believe me. And what he really told me at the end of the, my conversation with him is he said, if you believed that I was going to do with you what I told you I was going to do with you, you would be living differently. But because you don't live according to what I've spoken over you, you don't believe that I'm actually going to do it. You have unbelief, Kevin. I've told you this is what I'm going to do. I've told you this is where you're going to go. I've told you this is what's going to happen. But you don't believe it because if you believed it, you'd be living towards that 
instead of living over here. So your problem is unbelief. Now it gets real. It just got real. This is, this is where it not only comes from the scripture, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. And it comes through intimacy. And it comes through conviction right straight into the heart. And what we do is, that's the devil. God wouldn't talk to me that way. No, that's exactly how he's going to talk to you. He's going to talk to you like that. He never condemns you. He points out the problem. The problem, he never personifies you as the problem. The devil will personify you as the problem. He'll tell, you're the problem. The Lord does not personify you as the problem because you're not the problem. Your choices are the problem. The, the, the decisions that you're making, the, the ways that you're living may be the problem, but you in and of yourself are not the problem because everything that was wrong with you was nailed to the cross. You're accepted in Christ. So that's the, that's the thing that's going on. And a lot of times this is what we have to do. We have to learn and understand this. We have to let the word come over our life. We have to let God speak to us. Lord, you said, what is going on with this? Sometimes he's going to tell you to wait. I had a woman here. She underwater. She was like, was, when the real estate crisis was a mess, and she was trying to sell her building, and she, and she felt like the Lord was telling her, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And the whole thing was falling apart. It didn't look any, like anything was happening. She said, I'm crying. I'm like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he looked at her, and he said, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And so then she had confidence and she began to trust. And she, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. A lot of times we don't listen to what he's speaking to us. Lord, why isn't my building selling? Because I'm working on it. And the person that ended up buying her building, because she had this really crazy piece of property, the person that bought this building, there was no reason for this dude to buy this building. It made no sense whatsoever. And even when he was doing the contract, he's like, I, I don't even know why I'm buying this property. And he bought it. He bought it. He kept going back and forth on it. And she's like, I think the contract's going to fall through. I'm like, well, if this is the buyer, let's just believe God this is the buyer. And he's like, I don't even know why I'm buying it. And he ended up buying it. Removes interfering influences. Got to get rid of everything that slows us down. Last slide. And, he, and, and the way that the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to create honest relationships. This is another way that the Holy Spirit changes us. He changes you by changing your environment. No more pretense. Tell your navel the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. So if you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Be kind and loving to each other, forgiving one another as Christ did in you. We have to have honest relationships within the body of Christ. This has to be cultivated as a culture. right? One of the things a pastor is within a church, he's many things. We wear lots of hats. But one of the things the pastor's main job is, is to architect the culture. He's the cultural architect. Make no mistake. If they're allowed, unless it's denominations, then oftentimes the denomination architects the church. So what we do, we do it like this. And what's the architecture of the culture? One to the other. The architecture of the culture here is acceptance, love and acceptance. The architecture of the culture is unto Christ, all things to him. There's a lot of different things I could answer you off that. But that's one of the jobs of the pastor is to set the tone. If the pastor's judgmental, the people are going to be judgmental. Everything produces after its own kind, Christian. So you need to be wise and discerning to the churches that you associate yourself with because what you associate yourself with is what you will become. If you go to a legalistic church, you're going to be legalistic. You go to a judgmental church, you're going to become judgmental. You go to a life-giving church, life is going to come to you. You go to a church that's spirit-oriented, you're going to be spirit-oriented. We get people here say they can never hear God. They're young, like, I just had a guy who just asked me. He said, you believe I can hear the Holy Spirit? I said, 100%. I said, 100%. Come to Firestarters? I said, you will hear the Lord. You will hear the Lord. Guaranteed. Do you know why? Because it's yours by inheritance. It's already paid for. 
You don't need to do anything to get it. It's blood right. It is a blood right to all believers. It cannot be denied. It can be resisted, but it cannot be denied. Cannot. The Spirit's power and movement in you is not based upon you. It's given to you as a gift. My sheep hear my voice. He's speaking. He's calling you. So what do you need? You need church. You need small group. You, need that, you say, that's not my thing. It needs to become your thing. Church isn't my thing. It needs to become your thing. Small group's not my thing. It needs to become your thing. You need people who are around you that you are developing. So whatever you, wherever stage of walk you are, or life you are, you need to find some people and you need to help them. You need people around you who are your peers. This is an important one. Your peer is the one who's equal to you, but not everybody can be your peer. Your peer is the person who will love and accept you no matter how ugly it gets. They know everything about you and they're just cool. They love you anyway. They accept you anyway. You can't be a peer to another person if you don't have that attitude towards them. I'm really indifferent to, to, that, to people's problems because I know people are broken. They're like, oh, I don't want to tell you this. I don't want you to think bad of me. I'm like, first of all, I don't need you to tell me it. But lastly, I'm not going to think badly of you because I know we're all screwed up. We all got issues. We all got problems. Let's take off the pretenses. Not everybody can be your peer. But you need to have peers, people that love and accept you. They know everything about you and they love you just the same. They think no less of you. You need mentors, people who call you higher. You need to be called higher because you were created to be called higher. And these things that you have heard from many witnesses, commit these things to faithful people who will teach others. So what Paul's telling Timothy is what I taught you, you need to teach others. And then you need to teach the others to teach others. This is, the, this is how it works. I think I got one more in this. This is it. It's the last slide, but it's not. I don't think I got a line. Is that the last slide? One more? Yeah, there. teaches you to trust. We kind of covered that because I'm out of time anyway. You get to choose. Here's the deal. As much as God's changed, we want help from the Lord, so help me God. God changes. God helps us by changing us. And you get to choose the level of help that you get according to your faith, so be it unto you. How far do you want to go? And Sharon and I, again, we were just talking about this, like how God is so unique and different than any other person around. He'll help you to the level that you can bear. He literally will help you to where you are. And, he, and if you want more, the way more comes to you, Christian, is you have to want more. If you don't want more, more doesn't come to you. It doesn't. That God, God will allow you to stay where you are. He will have more for you, but He's not going to let more come to you unless you want it. You have to pursue Him for more. And in the pursuit comes the questions. In the pursuit comes the challenges. In the pursuit comes the transformation. But if you're fine and you're comfortable, I just met with a pastor, love the guy, but not my point of view at all, and where he's coming from, I won't get into it, but his response to me, I'm like, and that's, I go, why do you, why do you feel that's, that's the POV here? And he says, well, I'm just, I'm just comfortable and happy, that's why. I'm like, I, I mean, I didn't want to correct the guy because he's older than me, but I wanted to tell him that's not the gospel. No matter what stage you're in in your life, we run, we run, we pursue the kingdom, we, we, whatever we, with everything we have. We're never to settle and be happy. Or not, when I mean happy is we're not to just settle for less, you know? You still got, if there's breath in your body, you still have a call on your life. 
There's still power over your life. There's still purpose in your life. There's still great reward for you. There's wonderful things. Jesus has great things for you. He teaches us to hear his voice. This is how God works in our life. He teaches us to hear his voice through his word, through his spirit. And he teaches us to trust the process. Stop short tracking the process. Sometimes you have to trust the process. You said I've been in a season for three years. Yeah, well, your season might be five years. Because God is ridding you of you. Do you realize you're your own worst enemy? And if you're aware of that, you're your own, you, you oppose you more than anybody else. The devil opposes you. No, you, you are your greatest opposition. You're stiff-necked and proud and arrogant and you think you know more. Or you're not willing to learn anymore. You know? That's oftentimes what happens. And so when we want God to do it, he dismantles you. I've been dismantled many times. I'm not standing here on a high horse looking at you saying, like, God's dismantling you. I've, I say that because he has literally dismantled me. And I could have stopped him anywhere along the line. I could have stopped him. I could have stopped him. I could have said, no, I don't want anymore. But I'm like, take me down to the ground, Lord. Take me to the subterranean foundations of my life. Dis- dismantle all of me. You have to be willing to do that. But that's how he truly, truly, truly changes you. And you have to trust that process. It feels like you're going to die, but you won't. <laughs> you feel like you're going to die, but you're not going to die. And they're calling you under courage into a new lifestyle. This is what he's calling you to. Just say this with me. Jesus, teach me to hear your voice. And we're going to get dangerous. Teach me to trust the process. You got a little mumble in here. Trust the process. <laughs> Say it again. Let's say it one more time. Lord, teach me to hear your voice. Teach me how to trust the process. Call me with courage unto a new lifestyle that's rooted and founded in your kingdom. I don't want church culture. I want kingdom culture. I don't want the world's culture. I want kingdom's culture. I don't know exactly what this means, but I want it. So, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to begin to cultivate this in me, in Jesus' name. And let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May He give you peace. And forever may you abide within His favor, in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.